We'll read on a little further. We could easily read the whole of this 14th chapter, but that would take us too long tonight. Uh, by all means, read on at home later on and see how the, how the narrative continues. It's remarkably dramatic, uh, these chapters in the book of Numbers. We often think of Numbers as being one of those rather gray, dull books of the Old Testament. We should never think like that, but it is anything but gray and dull at this point. It is, it is electric, absolutely, positively electric with activity and drama. So, Numbers 14, uh, carrying on. The first nine verses, and then we, will, then we will pause. Then all the congregation, after this uh, report of the spies, raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Well, as we continue a little further in this series on the subject of fear and encouragement, we come to another Old Testament narrative. And what's happening here? Well, the people... The children of Israel have been out of the land of Egypt now for round about a year or so. They have been to Sinai. They've moved on from Sinai. They're in the region of Kadesh Barnea, and they are making preparations to carry on and to enter the land, the promised land, the land of Canaan, and to conquer the land. And the whole idea had been that it would be a relatively short expedition. They would leave Egypt one year. They would camp around Sinai for a number of months. Then they would make preparations. And then they would go into the land. It would be done swiftly. That was always meant to be the way it was planned. And Moses, thinking this all along, sends out 12 men. One man from each tribe to go and spy out the land that they're going to conquer. Now understand this. 
There is absolutely no lack of faith in the Lord or lack of trust in the Lord in going to spy out the land. It is right and it is proper that we should look ahead and make plans and see where we are going. There is no lack of faith in what these 12 men were sent to do. It was a fact-finding mission. But what then happens afterwards is one of the prime examples of where fear seizes the people of God with devastating consequences. And we learn from this tonight. So, three points. Let's see whether we get through all three of them tonight. We may, we may not. I don't want to keep you uh, too long tonight. But first of all, the causes, the causes of fear. Twelve spies have gone. Twelve spies are away for a while. The twelve spies return. And they come back. And from verse 25 in chapter 13, we read of their report. And it all begins on a bright note. Yes, they say, we've been to the land. It's a fruitful land. Look at the fruit. You've probably seen, many of you, Sunday school pictures of, uh, of the grapes of Eshkol. And of the grapes of Eshkol being carried on these, uh, on these poles and they're kind of the size of watermelons. You've seen those pictures in Sunday school books. You know, this land is exceedingly fruitful. It's a land that's flowing with milk and honey. It really is a wonderful, wonderful land. It's got everything going for it. The resources are amazing. It's fertile. It's fruitful. The rain falls in its season. There's a bumper harvest there every year. It's a fit land for us to live in. But... And then verse 28 is one of the great turning points in the book of Numbers and one of the great turning points in the entire history of God's people. Because there is one problem with this land. There is one great obstacle that means we can't go now and conquer the land. There are strong re- there's one strong reason, say these spies, or, or at least ten of them, why we perhaps should not go into this land right now. And it's nothing to do with the fruit or the terrain or the climate or the resources or, or anything like that. It's all to do with the people. It's the people. We're, we're frightened of the people. They're so... They're so big. They're they're enormous. They seem to be described as as giants. Uh, They're described as the the sons of Anak. They come from the Nephilim. And we can read about Nephilim elsewhere in the scripture. And then there are other nations there. Strong nations. Mighty nations. Powerful nations. They've got their iron and and they've got their bronze. the, The Amalekites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Canaanites. We could never enter this land I mean, it's a wonderful land. I'm sure that God intends maybe one day to give us that land. But, but really, you know, as things stand, we ought not to go there because the people, the people, the people make it too dangerous for us. Well, what can we say about this kind of fear? It's a fear of people. That's obviously the case, and I've mentioned that already. But more than that, it's a kind of fear that always walks by 
sight and not by faith. It's a fear that only considers what's right in front of our eyes at this moment. It's short-sighted. It latches onto the visible difficulties. It magnifies them. It means that nothing else is really in our view. And we might ask the question, well, what would be perhaps today's equivalence of these faithful, fearful spies who did not want to enter the land of Canaan? What would some of these equivalents be maybe for God's people today? Uh, Let me think of a few. I do not want to make a commitment to a particular local church. I do not want to commit to being baptized and becoming a member. I'm afraid I won't be able to keep up that commitment. I'm afraid of making a mess of things, of giving up, of changing my mind. I really don't feel that I want to plunge myself into the life of this church. I'm too scared. Another one. I don't want to tell the people closest to me, my family and my friends and my colleagues and my school friends, that I have become a Christian. They'll laugh at me. They'll ridicule me. They'll exclude me. They'll make me feel small. If I try and tell them that I'm a Christian, my mouth will go dry and I will stammer the words out and I will make a complete idiot of myself. I'm too scared to say, the people frighten me. Another one. I belong to a church. And there's somebody in the church who has a bad attitude towards me. I know they do. I'm troubled by them. They do nothing outwardly, uh, visibly painful to me they don't cause a scene they don't bad mouth me as it were but there's an attitude there I'm frightened of even gently saying brother sister I need to talk to you about our relationship I'd rather suffer in silence than deal with an issue which actually I sense is is affecting the life of the church and causing uh, causing consternation and anguish and pain and worry and and turmoil among the fellowship I'd rather not rock the boat and become exposed and risk the danger of actually saying brother sister I think that your attitude towards me and others is causing harm and I need to deal with it I'm frightened of that person I'm frightened of that person outside the church that I've never spoken to before. I'm frightened of my next door neighbors who I have never opened my mouth to or even smiled at. I'm frightened of exposing my personality to them, of going outside my comfort zone even for a short time. I'm frightened of these people. We're frightened as a church it could be said, of engaging in some bold new initiative. A holiday Bible club, we've we've done that, but there could be others, you see, a 
a new initiative, a new way of organizing ourselves. It's going to take time and energy and conversations and maybe potential disagreements along the way. Relationships will be tested in this. But let's not do it because it might just cause a few people to rub up the wrong way and we don't want that to happen in this church because, bottom line, we're frightened of people. And we can be frightened of lots of other people. We can be frightened of giving a bold account of Christian truth to those outside the church. We're frightened of standing up and being counted of being attacked by social media, perhaps, of our colleagues saying things about us that are going to be painful to us. Are we frightened? And because we're frightened, we choose the path that avoids any short-term pain, but it can lead to a bad conscience and to long-term difficulty. The causes of fear, the fear of other people, especially the people who are right in front of us. But let's move on to another point now. Having looked at the causes of fear, what about the consequences of fear? Because now let's have a look at what then happens. Twelve spies have come back. And the vast majority of them have given this bad report. And they have said to Moses and all the rest, We can't enter the land. We shouldn't enter the land. Let's not do it. And we see what happens in chapter 14. The whole congregation raises a loud cry and the people wept that night. If you'd walked into the camp of Israel that night, anywhere at all, you'd have heard the sound of people weeping and wailing. Then you'd wait a bit longer and you'd hear the sound of people shouting and, and, and arguing and raising their voices and getting angry and saying, well, this is enough. We're not going with this anymore. We're going back to Egypt. We're going to retrace our steps. Let's not carry on any longer. Let's go back to our old home. It's not worth it anymore. We've heard this from these spies. We are on a hiding to nothing. But what are the consequences of fear? Well, here are some consequences that we could find out about if we read on further in chapter 14. There isn't the time tonight, but we would see if we read on that the people of Israel were brought to the very brink of being disinherited as the people of God for the second time in just a year or so. Do you remember how a year earlier... There had been the the golden calf episode. And the Lord had burned with anger against Israel and said to Moses, I'm going to destroy this people and I'm going to make of you and only you, Moses, another, a new great nation. It happens again now. With this new rebellion, history repeats itself. And again, as previously, the saving The saving event for the people of Israel is that Moses prays. Moses intercedes. And the Lord relents. And yet the Lord goes on to say this. Much later on in the chapter, verse 33 onwards. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years 
suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies die, lies in the desert. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. That whole generation of Israelites who would come out of the land of Egypt, apart from Caleb and apart from Joshua, would never see the land of promise. Not Miriam. Not Aaron. Not even Moses would enter the land of Canaan. But notice this. Notice the immediate effect of the report, of the faithless, fearful report of these spies. A spirit of fear can quickly infect other people. Ten spies come back from the land with their bad report. And immediately the whole mass of the people of Israel, in their hundreds of thousands are seized with this spirit of fear and trembling and alarm and terror. Have you ever been in a situation where maybe you're on expedition somewhere, you're going for a walk in the countryside, in the hillside, and you're going along and you're going to a certain destination, and then somebody in the party, it would probably be me in a place like that, would say, oh, I'm, I'm getting worried it's getting dangerous, it's getting too steep, it's getting too rocky, there's too many, uh, too many streams to cross, it's, uh, there's too much scrambling involved. I, 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 I don't think we can do it. I think we'd better go back. And how one worried voice can make everybody else in the group fearful. And they start saying, you know, actually, I think you're right, it's not a very good idea, let's go back down, shall we? Let's head back. Or you've been in a meeting, maybe at work you've been in a meeting or in a church meeting or a business meeting or any kind of meeting and uh, there's a bold plan on the table, let's, let's try this new initiative, let's, let's go for this wonderful idea, whatever it might be. And you're all gung-ho about it until one or two very, very negative people start saying, oh, but I don't think it's going to work. I can see the pitfalls. I don't think we're up to this. I can see all the dangers. And a spirit of fear and negativity creeps into that group. And the whole group think dynamic changes and retreats. And they achieve nothing. Nothing. And you see, that's what happened here. And for another 39 years, these people are going to be wandering, wandering around the wilderness. And we see that same spirit of unbelief and fear permeating them. Later on, they're on the very brink of the land. They're about to enter the land of Canaan. And then there are two of the tribes, the tribe of Reuben and the tribe of Gad, in Numbers chapter 32, they're about to enter the land. But then the tribes of Reuben and Gad say to Moses, you know, we don't want to go across this Jordan. 
We want to remain on the east side. We really don't fancy the battle very much. We don't think we're up to it. We would rather just put our tents down here on the east of the Jordan and uh, let you go across. And Moses speaks to these men in no uncertain terms. Here you are, he says, Numbers 32, verse 14, a brood of sinners standing in the place of your fathers and making the Lord even more angry with Israel. If you turn away from following him, he will again leave all this people in the desert and you will be the cause of their destruction. A spirit of fear in just a small number of people can start to diffuse and permeate and spread and infect the whole crowd of people. And it can happen in churches, particularly churches like ours. I mean churches that rightly place a high premium on orthodoxy and truth and correct doctrine and theology, which are precious and important. But sometimes, all too often, churches that place a high regard on orthodox doctrine can, for a reason that I really do not understand, become infected with a spirit of fear and doubt and become very, very slow to share the riches of the gospel with those who are outside them. They find themselves increasingly unwilling and unable to engage with people. And um, that can become a real problem. Churches can become a kind of reformed ghetto if we're not careful, and that is a real tragedy. I don't believe that we are a reformed ghetto at Grove Chapel. But I know that that danger is often present for churches, that this can happen. A spirit of fear can get inside of us. Consequences of one or two people being frightened and ultra-cautious and nervous can be that everyone is saying, oh, we better not go outside. We, we, We better not go and talk to people. We better not open our mouths. We better not approach this person in case things start to go a little bit unpredictable. Can't take any risks, you know. Well, this is where we need to move on and see, finally, we will finish tonight, the conquest of fear. The conquest of fear. Psychiatrists will tell you this. If you're afraid, you need to face up to your fears, don't you? If you're frightened of spiders... What you need is to have a large, I wouldn't say tarantula or black widow, but a a large arachnid crawl across the palm of your hand. Ooh, I don't think I'd want that either. I hate spiders. If I ever went to Australia, I'd be really worried about spiders all the time, I think, so I'd probably uh, wear some sort of protective armor to keep spiders away from me. If you're frightened of heights... It's good to expose yourself, isn't it, they say, to heights or, or whatever it might be, rather than brush these things under the carpet. But is the conquest of fear, of this fear, just a matter of exposing ourselves to that fear, 
that's, that's psychology, that's psychiatry, that's psychotherapy. But we are about more than psychotherapy, aren't we? We are about the Word of God. And we are not told to simply identify our fears and try and combat them using our own wisdom. What we find here, in the example of Caleb in particular, is that what gives Caleb this great confidence and courage is the Word of God, the truth of God, the promise of God, the presence of God, the actions of God. They make him to be a conqueror, and more than a conqueror, and so should we be. We have in chapter 13, from verse 28 onwards, as I've just said earlier on, we have a great change of tone. There's been a sense of how good the land is in the first few verses. And then verse 28, the tide turns. And the negativity comes in. And the fear comes in. And the doubts come in. And the brows become all furrowed. And people start to frown and look down at their feet and start to look very, very troubled. And Caleb, you sense, is there. And he's itching and itching to just burst out and say, No, 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 stop. Don't listen to what these people are saying. Don't listen to the gloomsters and the doomsters. The pessimistic fearful, faithless spies. Look at him in verse 30. Caleb, what does he say to them? Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Can you see Caleb in your mind's eye? Can you hear the excitement in his voice? The optimism in his, in, in his speech? Don't you love Caleb? Don't you want to go and hug Caleb and say, good on you, Caleb. More of that, Caleb. We need Caleb in this church, in every church. We need you to tell us these things, Caleb. You're right. But what does Caleb mean? Look again at his words. We could misunderstand his words in verse 30 of chapter 13. Let us go up at once and occupy it for We are well able to overcome it. We are well able. What do you mean, Caleb? Does Caleb mean, let them come. Look at my fists. Come on, Amalekites. I want to fight. We can do it. Come on, boys. We're strong. We've got superior armor, superior technology. Come on now. We can do it. We're tougher than these guys. Does he mean that? His natural resources? No, he doesn't. He doesn't. Read on to the verses we read in chapter 14. And there we see Caleb and Joshua with him now, these two faithful, bold men standing together with their torn clothes. Why were their clothes torn? Because in ancient Israel, it was an expression of great dismay and distress and sadness to to tear your clothes. And there they are. And they are just, they are grief-stricken by the, the faithlessness of their brothers. But they're still pleading with the people and saying in, in verse 8, that the, the land we passed through and explored 
is exceedingly good. Exceedingly good land. Then he says, verse 8, If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them and this is it. The Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Now isn't that what we've been saying all along in this series on fear and encouragement? Wasn't that the point last Sunday night with Abraham? Fear not, Abraham. I am your shield And a shield is always with the person that it's protecting. I'm with you, Abraham. That's it, says Caleb. That's it, says Joshua. It's not that we are able in ourselves to do anything. It's that the Lord is with us. It's that the Lord delights in us. It's that we are nothing without the Lord, but we are everything with the Lord. And he is everything to us and in us and through us. And it's the same for you and for me. Whatever you're fearing, whoever you're fearing, are you frightened of someone? Are you frightened of a group of people? Are you frightened of opening your mouth in certain company? I am often too, but the Lord is with us. If the Lord delights in us, verse 8, if, what kind of if is that? Is it an if of uncertainty, an if of maybe, an if of perhaps, an if of if it's sunny tomorrow we'll, we'll go, if it's raining we're not, if it's warm tomorrow we'll head out, if it's cold we'll stay at home. No, it's not an if like that. It's an if like the if of Romans 8 verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? That's the if that Caleb speaks. It's an if of triumphant reasoning. And you might say to Caleb, 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 how, how do you know that God is with you? What should Caleb say to that? Caleb might answer, brothers and sisters, have you not been with me these last year or two and longer And seen that God has been with us? Is there any lack of evidence that God is with us? With his people? How many miracles and signs and wonders have we all seen? Ever since the day that Moses came back to Egypt and began working these signs with his rods and his leprous hand and his water becoming blood. How many plagues did the Lord bring upon Egypt? which increasingly showed that he was our God, the God to deliver his people. And in a sense, isn't Caleb going right back to Abraham, as we said last Sunday? The covenant, the very first pronouncement of the covenant, which says, which the Lord says to Abraham, I will be with you, I will be your God, I will bless you, I will protect you. Whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever dishonors you, I will curse. I will bless all nations because of you. I am your God. I am with you. Caleb says to the people, look, if the Lord delights in us, of course he delights in us. What happened at the Red Sea? Don't you remember the Red Sea? Don't you remember the water from the rock? Don't you remember the manna from heaven? 
What did you have for breakfast this morning, brothers, says Caleb? Did you go and have to hunt down your food, or did it rain down manna for you? You know the answer to that. God gave you your food. God gave you your drink. Isn't it true that God has been with us all this time? What's that, what's that cloud in the distance, says Caleb, there, hovering above the tent of meeting? Isn't that the very presence of God that's with us? What's going to be there in a few hours' time when the sun goes down? There'll be a pillar of fire there, won't there? Isn't it true that God is with us, that God delights in us? And we should say the same thing. Brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus, who died and rose again, is the one who says to us, I am with you and I delight in you and you are precious to me. And I go with you into everything. And this is where the rub really comes, doesn't it? I've referred before to a book by Edward Welsh, and the title of the book is When People Are Big and God is Small. When people are big and God is small. And that's the problem with ten spies and about 600,000 Israelites. The people are big. Oh, I'm sure they were. Who were these people? Who are these Nephilim? What exactly were they? What race of people were they? How tall were they? Too tall to ever contemplate going to fight them? Well, a few hundred years later, one young shepherd boy had different views, didn't he? He went out to meet somebody who was probably a descendant of the Nephilim, David going out to Goliath, and he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And by faith he conquered Goliath, as Jonathan by faith had conquered the Philistines, as Elijah by faith had conquered the prophets of Baal. As our Lord Jesus Christ in his manhood by faith, conquered Satan and hell and sin and death because the Lord is on the side of his people and Christ is with us and in us. Pray that the Lord would deliver you from the fear of man. But even before and after you pray, Think to yourself, what is this fear of human beings really all about? Why should I be afraid of them? What can man do to me? Remember David saying that in Psalm 56 a few weeks ago. What can flesh do to me? In God I trust. I will not be afraid. God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and self-control. God willing, I want to come to that passage in Second Timothy next Lord's Day evening. But remember the example of Caleb and Joshua. It's not Caleb's strength, and it won't be yours. It won't be our strength, our power, our ingenuity, our numbers. It wasn't for Gideon, was it, either? Gideon had to have his army paired right down to 300 weak men, in case Gideon got any idea that it was his own might and power that had saved them from the, from the Midianites. But it was the Lord. 
and it'll be the Lord for you and the Lord for me, winning for us in all our battles and delivering us from fear, especially the fear of people who are all around us. May God equip us all with a bold, courageous, trusting spirit in everything we do. Let's pray together. O Lord our God, we know our weakness. We can think of the faces and the voices of the the people who might have caused us to to retreat and to back down. We can see maybe the front doors of the houses that we are worried about knocking on. We can think about the telephones we don't want to pick up in case somebody should be on the other side of the line. We can think, O Lord, of the situations in home, in work, in church, where we are too timid to face up to what needs to be done and needs to be said. But, O Lord our God, please, we pray, may the Spirit of your Son, the risen Lord Jesus, be the Spirit who animates and moves us in all we do and say. Be with your people tonight. Be with your people, O Lord our God, into this week. May we be those who, as it were, conquer the land. We pray for our brother Pete, especially in the work that he does in establishing contacts in this community, in uh, knocking on those doors, in meeting individuals, in inviting people to the International Cafe. And we pray, Lord, for him and for all who work in this same work, for a holy boldness, for the spirit of Caleb and Joshua to be with him and with others, and indeed, O Lord, with all of us, we pray. Thank you, Lord, that whenever we ask you for anything in faith, you will give as a gracious Father. We give you thanks for this in Jesus' name. Amen.